So good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining Bernstein's Strategic Decisions Conference again. My name is Keith Murray, Bernstein's Tech and Payment Sector Specialist. I'm very happy to be joined today by uh, Jay Chowdhury, Founder, Chairman, and CEO of Zscaler, along with uh, Remo Canessa, who's the Chief Financial Officer of Zscaler. Um, in a nutshell, Zscaler is a cloud-based uh, security software provider, but I'm sure Jay and, and Remo will do a much better job of explaining exactly what it is they do. Um, just one quick uh, housekeeping item before we get to the discussion. If you would like to submit questions, you can do so by clicking on the live Q&A link. It should be in the upper right-hand portion of your screen on, on the viewer. Um, so with that out of the way, we can uh, get to the discussion. So Jay and Remo, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Jay, you know, I thought it might be a little bit helpful if you could spend some time maybe up front for some mm -hmm. people who may not be exactly you know, so familiar with Zscaler, maybe if you take 10 minutes or so, you can kind of yeah. walk us through Zscaler's you know, zero trust mm -hmm. exchange platform, how it differs from the traditional castle and moat uh, security model, and sort of the mm -hmm. key business risks your firm helps to reduce and, and so on. So thank you. That's wonderful. Keith, I'll use a few slides. I'll go through them fairly quickly, but visuals can help make some of the concepts a lot clearer. So if you see my diagram, Every CIO is embracing SaaS, and they're also embracing public cloud. And the users are becoming mobile. They're working from anywhere and everywhere. The data is everywhere because data sits with either applications or with users. Data doesn't sit on the network. Network is simply the transport. And what you see below, the whole security and network infrastructure gets bypassed, business is happening outside the corporate network. And we are still trying to do network security. That is kind of crazy. A typical hub and spoke network, a typical data center, made lots of sense when data center was the center of gravity and all roads took to the data center with the shortest path. So ideal model for the pre-cloud and pre-mobile world. What is the problem with it? Well, in the, for the last 30 years, to access applications, you built them and put them in a data center, and users had to be on the same network that applications were on. So we extended our corporate network to every branch office. If you got 3,000 branch offices, your network got extended to 3,000 locations. And now if you embrace cloud, your network gets extended to every cloud location, every availability zone. And if you got 20,000 users working from home using legacy VPN, your network is sitting in 20,000 homes. Your network is all over. It's a trusted network. Why do you do that? Because any user, once they get on the network, they can access any applications. That's beautiful. The danger is that any user getting infected, a single user in a single place. Everything can be infected. Those of you who have interest in security, you should read an article by Wired Magazine about Maersk. This is the mega shipping company that got infected with NotPatia ransomware and entire enterprise across 180 countries was down, hard down. That's the danger of doing network security. 
that's in danger of having a wide area network. What will a firewall company say in this world? They say, don't worry, but this network security is great. You don't like appliances? I'm going to spend my firewalls in a virtual cloud, VMs. You don't see them. You don't worry about them. It's a cloud service, but they're extending your network to wherever the firewalls are. Firewall is a network device. If you got users at home, they won't call it VPN, but they'll say, trust me, I got a great cloud service. It is VPN. Spinning VPNs in a cloud, it's still a cloud. And they can happily extend your network with side-to-side VPNs to every cloud provider. Your network gets all over, your attack surface goes up, and the risk of lateral movement, the kind of risk that MERSCAD becomes bigger and bigger. So what's the right architecture? It is zero trust. The term is being hijacked by legacy vendors because they are worried that they're getting disrupted. Read two documents if you want to read about zero trust. Gartner has a paper called Zero Trust Network Access, and NIST has a very good document. In fact, Biden talked about NIST paper in in the EO about cybersecurity. Applications are viewed as destinations. Users are viewed as untrusted. Applications are users that are not on the same network. Network security doesn't matter. Network is simply the transport. It is plumbing. To connect to applications, a user comes over any network. They connect to our exchange. Think of Zscaler Zero Trust Exchange like a smart switchboard. Simple phone switcher, who can talk to who? When they come to us, we redirect them to their identity system because identity is an important part of zero trust. Once user is authenticated, we looked at various contexts about user, device, application, and content. If the criteria meets, we connect them to the right application or service, period. There's no pass-through connection like firewalls and the like. This gives you great user experience, better security, makes business agile, and cost goes down big time. In the process, you end up eliminating the need of having any of these security appliances that are used to build a moat around the castle. In this castle and moat model, you have a drawbridge to go out and a drawbridge to come in. And with Zscaler, you simply forward the traffic to us through ZIA, one of our products, to secure users when they go to internet or SaaS, and through ZPA when they need to access internal application. Life becomes simple. You can actually enable your users anytime from anywhere to work on any device, and they can access any internal, external applications with zero trust being they're not on the corporate network. So that's the high-level view. You end up replacing lots of stuff. You don't need to do it overnight, but over a few quarters, a lot of this stuff goes away. Business justification becomes easy. User experience goes up. And most importantly, security becomes much, much better. So I think that's probably a good high-level view. Maybe one more statement I'll make. Security should be looked at holistically. How do you do so? First of all, the bad guys want to compromise you. 
And to do so, every threat comes from the internet. Since Zscaler sits in line with ZIA, like an international airport, for any communication of the internet, we stop your users, your servers, your workloads, your OT devices from getting infected. Now, in today's world, when supply chain get, can get compromised like solar winds, you, you assume that you may be compromised. Then our job is to stop lateral movement of threats so they can't find high-value targets. Our ZPA product, by securely connecting users to applications, not to the network, provides the security. Three, every bad person wants to, wants to steal your data. And since we are sitting in line like an international airport, everything goes through us. We have data loss prevention, data protection services that make sure nothing goes up. So that's our overall holistic story. So with that, Keith, let's get into Q&A. Thanks very much, Jay. Very helpful. Um, so we have actually a couple of questions coming in from the audience already. So let's start with this one. Uh, the question is, what's the total cost of ownership of uh, Zscaler's legacy, I'm sorry, Zscaler versus legacy architecture and maybe compared to other cloud vendors? Yeah. What's the differentiation in there? Thanks. Yeah. So first of all, when you compare a one-point product to one-point product, you can easily compare the cost. It's simple. We are an architectural chain. We eliminate the need for network. We eliminate the need for most of the security appliances. I mean, most of my large customers will say, wow, Jay, your cost is so low, it's too good to be true as compared to the cost they have. I, I from time to time, kind of respond back and I smile and say, my sales team screwed up. They didn't charge you enough. Okay. But it is true. By the time you eliminate the MPLS network, all the associated routers, switches, load balancers that go with, and all the network security devices, literally the ROI is massive. Some of the customers have stated, I had a customer from Consumer Goods Company. He stated a couple of years, a couple of years ago at RSA, he said, for every dollar spent on Zscaler, I saved six to seven dollars. That's that's a big number, and that, your cost comments dovetail with a, another question that came in from the audience. Uh, the question is, how long does it take for customers to transition Zscaler from legacy competitors, and is it mainly motivated by cost, or is it motivated by improved security? So, so what's the the thought there? Often, number one reason to do so is to securely do digital transformation. Security is actually the last thing in most of our decision-making process. CIOs are driving digital transformation. Our deals are often led by CIOs. When they move applications to the cloud, user experience becomes very bad, okay? Because they're all backhauling through the stuff. And then they need to really transform the network and security needs to be transformed. And if they look at holistically what we're doing by simplifying the stuff, it becomes very impressive. So, so transformation is number one to enable it because that's the highest priority for CIOs. Number two ends up being good user experience. Number three is reducing business risk. And number four is actually cost savings. Thank you. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, 
recent cyber threat that was in the news. They seem to be front and center. They're in the news regularly. Can you discuss some of the major sort of secular tailwinds that you see benefiting you know, the growth opportunity for Zscaler? And do you, do you see those ebb and flow over time, or has it been a pretty consistent expansion of a focus um, on the cybersecurity front, just given all the risks that are out there? Yes, security has been an issue for the last several years, but in the recent time, for example, when solar winds happened, this was a first large, large scale supply chain attack. It kind of shook off customers. It probably had bigger impact than target breach. And then on top of that, Microsoft Exchange, vulnerability showing up, and then this colonial pipe showing up. It seemed like it's a nonstop thing that's happening. You know, in some ways, it doesn't surprise me. Our enterprise security for in large enterprise still largely dependent upon firewall-centric model. The model says castle and moat security. If you come into my inside my castle, you are trusted outside you're not. The problem is once you get in the castle, you wonder, well, this visitor can get to any place. And that castle is connected to nine other castles to very secure tunnels. So once you're in, you can get to any of those nine castles. That is the problem. That is where a firewall architecture simply breaks. What is a firewall? It's a door in front of your castle. What's zero trust? Zero trust says there's no inside, there's no outside. Everything is outside, okay? An application is a destination. A data center is destination, just like your application in Azure, just like your application like Office 365, and all users are untrusted. You go through our switchboard, can I talk to X, Y, and Z application? We authenticate you, we check various other contacts, where are you coming from, what kind of device are you coming from, and we connect. Otherwise, we don't. It doesn't really matter. What, how will a firewall do this? They can't. So what do you do? You kind of try to say, I can do this. I think one of the damage done to our enterprises is by legacy vendors who claim to do everything. They create a false sense of security. And enterprises are getting compromised. As long as we depend upon castle and mode, perimeter-centric architecture, these threats will never go away. Zero trust is the only way because this architectural change has to happen. It's like we used to defend our castles when only armies could invade us. With Air Force and everything around here, what do moats do? Nothing. Same thing is happening in our uh, cybersecurity world. Uh, thank you. Uh, maybe one for Remo. Uh, so I know you guys have highlighted a 72 billion dollars serviceable addressable market. Maybe can you give us a breakdown of the components of that and, and how do you see that addressable market growing? Or maybe the different pieces of it growing. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. Um, so, so our addressable market, uh, it, it's the market that we're targeting and we're targeting, you know, companies of greater than 2000 employees. Um, there's about 20,000 companies like that in the world and the total number of employees in those, that, those companies are about 337 million. So what we did, and that comes from third-party sources, 
Um, we looked at uh, what our average price per user is. Uh, and again, we sell in you know, basic, basically user protection and workload protection. So if you look at the user protection, it includes ZIA, ZPA, and ZDX. And the average price per user for companies of 5,000 employees, and we're seeing this type of pricing, net pricing to Zscaler is $145 per user. And you can break that down into you know, ZIA if they buy the transformation, which is our highest bundle. We, we sell in three bundles, uh, you know, professional, business, and transformation. So if they buy the highest bundle transformation, it's about $45 per user. The ZIA add-ons are about $30, and that's DLP, CASB, Ataban, and browser isolation, more, more security you know, type, type offerings. ZPA is $45, and ZDX is $25. So if you take the $145 and multiply it by the 337 million employees, you get $49 billion. The workload protection, what we looked at is large public company workloads, the AWSs, the Azures, um, and uh, you know, the Googles. And the, the uh, amount of workloads uh, in, in, in those public clouds is 150 million. So if you look at the pricing that we have you know, on the workload side, it's really can break it out to three, three groups. And this is for companies that are deploying thousands of workloads that we've seen. CSPM is about $40 per workload, workload segmentations, $60 per workload, and workload communication is $55. So that's $155 you know, per workload. So if you multiply that by the 150 million you know, large public company workloads, that gets you 23 billion. So the 23 billion plus the 49 gets you the 72. The thing about it is, is that that's a $72 billion SAM. It, it doesn't really include other things that our platform is capable of. IoT, you know, device to device, um, B2B, B2C, you know, smaller type companies, you know, companies below 2000, you know, which there's over 200 million basically employees in those companies. So really the TAM is much, much bigger, but our focus is, you know, this, you know, that the larger companies, as well as, you know, we looked at the large public workloads. Where is this going to go? You know, it's going to continue to grow. And, and it, it's a huge market. You know, and as Jay, Jay talked about, the savings that you're getting with this digital transformation is it, not just, you know, replacing appliances. It's, it's basically, you know, also replacing cost. And those costs are like MPLS costs, which we talked about, communication costs. You know, the, because we go through broadband, um, you know, cost of being related to servicing these products, uh, just, you know, significant cost, you know, support costs that you pay for, for companies. So a lot of other type of costs that basically, you know, we're collapsing into our, you know, platform, which is resonating with, with our customers. Thank you. Appreciate that, Rima. Uh, another question in from the audience. This is about sort of a company transitioning to your platform. If you have a legacy architecture in the enterprise and want to transition to Zscaler, do you have to rip and replace the entire system at once? Or can Zscaler do this in pieces and support the legacy while the migration is happening? The migration always happens in phases. Okay. It's kind of interesting. COVID showed that you don't need most of the legacy that's sitting in your data center on your network. When you had to work from home, you could literally 
come from your home, from your laptop with a small agent installed in it. Traffic comes to us. Internet and SaaS bound traffic gets sent to Internet and SaaS through ZIA, and internal traffic gets sent through ZPA. You don't have to touch in, in fact, your world that legacy stuff didn't even exist. Okay, you worked without it. That's the biggest mindset change that COVID did. The CIO said, I'm spending 50 millions per year on my network infrastructure. Wow, I can work without it. I never felt that it could be done. When you guys told me about this before, I said it's too good to be true. There must be a catch somewhere. There isn't a catch. So more and more CIOs are talking about not doing network transformation, but doing network elimination. It's like, I don't need my corporate network. If you don't need corporate network, do you need network security? You don't need network security. You securely needs to connect users to applications through an exchange and a switchboard. So that's how the world is working now. Having said that, the system, removing legacy takes a few quarters. For example, there are some contracts with service provider on wide area networks and out there, right? They need to go. And when your users go back to the office, they want to really have a local connection, local broadband connection from every office. And they need to phase out the MPLS connection that goes from a branch to the data center. So if they were paying $2,000 per month for each branch office for MPLS, and you got 1,000 branches, do the math, the numbers add up. This is a monthly number. And then they spend $150. They get a broadband connection to the branch. What's the price difference? Literally less than a tenth of it. So it, it takes some, a few months to get X hundred branches with a local breakout connection. But as soon as they get the broadband connection, it get the router locally can be configured to send traffic to Zscaler directly from the office. Or till that's done, the traffic from Zscaler in the branch will still flow through whatever the network is. We are really we are not married to the network. The traffic for Zscaler can flow over any network, and the changes to replace some of the legacy takes a while. So it's, it's a journey, and customers like a phased journey. For example, typically, they start ZIA and ZPA to enable employees to work from anywhere. That's number one. Number two, then they say, let me remove my secure web gateway and outbound firewall and DLP and sandboxing and antivirus that's sitting generally in two or three data centers. But that doesn't matter. They want... A thousand branches to go direct. So is the replacement? Yes, we replace three data centers, but there are a thousand other branches that are net new, so to speak, green field opportunities. Okay, that's how this thing expands. ZPA starts with replacing VPN. People get confused. They think ZPA is a VPN replacement thing. VPN is only a small piece of it. That's a remote access to ZPA makes sure your users aren't getting on your network. But ZPO overall removes the whole inbound stack. For example, when you deploy applications in Azure, you will need to figure out what do you do with global load balancers, DDoS protection, external layer of firewalls, IPS internal layers and all. ZPA subsumes all of that. You simply come to us, we connect you to the right application. You don't have to worry about any of that. So the overall cost saving, simplicity, and security, a massive benefit. That's why all these customers are buying us 
They're not buying us to say, are you better than this firewall device? Thanks very much. Uh, Jay, this is a two-parter from the audience. So maybe one part for you and one part for Remo. Uh, the first part is, how do you make sure the transmission from homes to airports are secure, just as an example? And then the second part is, what is uh, your market share now? What do you think you can achieve market share-wise in the long term? Right. So first of all, transmission. Secure communication from your laptop sitting at home to our exchange is using standard SSL technology. There's no problem with secure communication. The problem is knowing what is in that communication. So like the international airport, right? You, you're carrying a luggage in your bag, right? So being able to go through X-ray technology to make sure you're not carrying any guns and weapons and drugs to make sure things are safe. So we at our exchange uh, are inspecting for all the stuff. So the issue is by having simple SSL inspection, your communication is safe, no snooping can be done. The problem is bad guys hide in the same thing. And our job is to make sure we can inspect that SSL traffic to find any bad things to keep you safe. The notion, the issue of snooping is an easy problem that has been solved by everyone. And from a market share basis, I'll just throw some stats to you. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is we're very early, you know, in, you know, in this market. Um, the companies of greater than 2,000 employees in the world, there's about 20,000. We have a little over 2,000 of those companies. So our penetration is in those 20,000 companies, uh, you know, about a little over 10%. Then when you take a look at what we presented our analyst tape is our upsell just for ZIA and ZPA. Um, there's a 6X from a current ARR uh, that we had in January. There's a 6X opportunity to sell more, you know, into our existing customer base. Global 2000, you know, we're a little over 500. Of, of those. Um, and ZDX and ZCP are just starting. I mean, it, it's just the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, very early in the market, uh, you know, what Zscaler basically did, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, what Jake and the founding, you know, uh, founders, basically Zscaler, they saw where the world was going. Applications are going to the cloud, users going mobile. Do today's or yesterday's networks work in that kind of world? They don't. They don't work well. Zscaler purpose-built a platform for today's world. So we're in the early stages. And, you know, the accelerant was COVID, you know, basically brought to light the need because uh, companies couldn't get their employees working because they're going traditional VPN. So we, we got calls last March, not this March, but the March before, year, year, over a year ago. And basically, you know, we brought on hundreds of thousands of employees very, very quickly where they can access internal applications and do work. That started and that, that got, you know, the CXOs and others thinking, you know, digital transformation is, is here, the world's changed and I need to, you know, protect my company and put the proper platform in place to transact business and to run our company. We're seeing that. So, you know, changes takes time. And, and, and it, it's kind of like, I don't want to say a herd mentality, that's, but, but you know, more and more companies that embrace our platform, the easier it gets. 
and the more accepted, the more trust. And the advantage that Zscaler has done is we started off with ZIA, built Z, ZPA, and then once you've got customers that understand our technology and platform, and as you introduce new products like ZDX and ZCP, you know, workload communication, workload segmentation, and other offerings, it becomes you know, easier. So I, I think the opportunity is very big for Zscaler. Thanks to both of you. Uh, maybe we could spend a few minutes on the government opportunity. It seems like there's a growing opportunity to help government entities uh, around the world with cybersecurity. It's becoming obviously a, a bigger focus. Can you discuss that opportunity? And then you know, what's, what's the importance of Zscaler having the FedRAMP certification that you guys have? How much of a differentiator is that? How difficult is it, is it to achieve that certification? So color on that would be very helpful. Thanks. Right. So, so first of all, it's good to see governments waking up and saying they need to do something. Uh, Biden administration's EO regarding zero trust as the key uh, enabler was, was very good and clear. It's also good to see they reference NIST architecture for zero trust because it defines it properly. So vendors just don't hijack the, the term and try to abuse it. Uh, that, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, regarding certifications, government need to make sure that the solutions are secure and safe and the certification is very important. So we have spent about over two and a half years going through FedRAMP certifications, ZIA, ZPA, both have achieved certification at different levels. With ZPA, we have FedRAMP high. With ZIA, we have FedRAMP medium about to get to high pretty soon. And it's taken a lot of time. And that's with the right architecture. So it's an advantage. You could have the right products, but if they're not certified, you can sell. Okay. And on top of FedRAMP, there are further certifications to sell to defense organizations, DOD and the like. So making those investments early on and having put a team in place for federal sales, we think we're pretty well positioned to do so. We have a strong pipeline, it's growing, and we're bullish about the opportunity in federal market. Remo, you want to add any more color to it? No, I, I think that's, you know, it's hard to get. So that those FedRAMP certifications, you know, you know, as Jay mentioned, we're, we're high with ZPA. We're in the process you know, going high for ZIA. Those are years. Those, those aren't months. Those are year you know, type, type in investments. In addition, we've you know, really significantly increased our, our federal and SLED teams you know, for you know, state and local education. So I, you know, we, we're well positioned you know, for, for the federal as well as the SLED market. Maybe, Remo, just to clarify, the $72 billion SAM that we discussed earlier, I'm, a, you know, I'm pretty sure the way you described it, this is not really, the government opportunity is not really part of that addressable market. Am I thinking about that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, these are employees. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much. Um, I think, Remo, you touched on this a bit earlier on the pricing bundles. I'm just curious, what kind of traction are you seeing on that? Uh, is there... You know, I'd say a significant uptick, significant traction being gained by some of the pricing bundles that you're offering. Yeah, that's well, a great it's question. Going. I'm sorry, Jay. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, so we are seeing movement going to our highest bundles, which is the transformation bundle for both CIA and ZPA. You know, the pricing basically, if you think about it, is one X for pro professional, 
one and a half X for business and three X for transformation. So the percentages, you know, of our ARR is increasing. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing customers buying, you know, more of our offerings, you know, initially. So they're, they're buying the higher bundles initially, as well as buying more of what we call pillars. And our, our pillars are CIA, ZPA, ZDX, and ZCP. So, and, and again, that's the platform. What we're, you know, what we're trying to do, we're, we're selling a solution. We're selling a solution to handle user protection and workload protection. All your networking, basically, security is what we're selling. And so, um, yeah, things are, you know, moving up you know, increasing and have been increasing, broader platform, uh, record seven-figure deals, larger deals, uh, those record seven-figure deals, about half and half, new versus upsell. So all positive signs that basically, you know, companies are embracing our platform. And Jay, I'm, I'm sorry. This is good. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, maybe we'll spend a few minutes on the, the go-to-market strategy. So I think you guys made some key changes in the go-to-market strategy over the past uh, year plus. Can you kind of talk through the, the tenure and productivity of the, the sales force that you have now, the success that you're seeing in some of the value-added uh, reseller channels, and then, you know, you have this, this CrowdStrike uh, partnership. You know, how important is that partnership on the, on the go-to-market? And there was actually a, an audience question related to that one as well. So please go ahead. All right. Good. Let me start with broad comments. I could talk about it for an hour, but let me keep my answer pretty short. I think one of the things we did uh, fairly soon after the IPO was to make sure that if we need to go from a few hundred million revenue to a few billion revenue, we really need to build a strong foundation for go-to-market scalability. And that's when we brought in a new CRO and we put in place some proper sales enablement, better hiring, better training, better leadership, weekly cadence and tools. All that stuff took us uh, three, four quarters to put in place. And we're very transparent every quarter to show about the progress we've made in terms of leading indicators. So from sales point of view, the sales organization is highly optimized. It's doing well. Now, we're adding lots and lots of salespeople every quarter, so the ramping number of sales reps are probably more than ramp rep. Remo will know exact numbers, but, so that, but that, that's great progress. The two other things we're doing to make sure we have more and more leverage, one is channel, making sure the channel works well. The multiple channels out there, there are bar channels, SPs, and SI. We've done a lot of work with SPs all along. Bars used to kind of stay standoffish, thinking that boxes will sell forever, but now they have pivoted. They realize that box business is going away. We're getting inbound calls. Our brand has become bigger. And we launched a summit partners program to make sure it's tailored. If partners want to do more work, more engagement, the more points they get, it's, it's working well. But that's relatively young, a couple of quarters ago, but, but seeing contraction. Our related area, technology partners, for example, like CrowdStrike and Microsoft, they're doing some very good engagements. Uh, to elaborate a little bit more on CrowdStrike, I mean, they dominate EDR, security endpoints. We dominate the cloud. Think of them protecting every household in America 
we are trying, we are protecting every international airport. Okay. The two are complementary, right? So most, all of, most of our customers want an EDR solution. Most of EDR solution customers want the scalar solution. So we did two things. One, we did integration between the two products so we could share threat information to provide better security to our customers. And two, we said, let's our field organizations work together. Let our marketing organization do some joint marketing things. For example, we have done some joint webinars. Then our field organizations are working together on accounts to help each other, uh, which is a wonderful thing. And we see more and more of that kind of stuff happening to help us. Remo, do you want to add something? No, I, I think that's great, Jay. That's perfect. And maybe uh, sort of a follow-up, but the question from the audience also asked, how would you see the relationship with CrowdStrike evolving over time? And are you, are you coordinating go-to-market sales efforts with them? Yeah, so as a part of field-level engagement, it is all coordinated. I mean, it doesn't happen automatically. But when you align at the headquarters, George is a good friend. I mean, we, we are aligned at the headquarters and sales organizations come together. And, but real things happen in the field. So when we really have joint account planning discussions about accounts, so it, it's a proactive effort because it helps both of our companies. And we, we, we see it growing and helping both companies. It's a win-win partnership. Thank you. Uh, and can you maybe touch on, I think you have some other key partners like VMware and IBM and what those partnerships enable you to accomplish. Thanks. Yeah. You know, we like to have few technology partners, but work well with them rather than saying I had a thousand partners. VMware partnership is largely driven by their SD-WAN offering. As you know, we don't offer SD-WAN. We are like Switzerland who really secures all SD-WAN solutions. We have integrated with most of them through API-based integration. Uh, VMware is complementary to us. They need uh, enterprise-class security like Zscaler to secure their SD-WAN. And they have big presence. So as they go in there, they help us to pull into their accounts. We help to pull them into our accounts. It's a great partnership. IBM comes from a different angle. They got security solutions of their own. They do transformation. They are an SIE as well. So as a partnership, we have integrated with their products. They Our Zscaler solution becomes part of the overall portfolio. And they, when they do transformation, they're also leveraging Zscaler. So good partnership on that front. And Microsoft partnership is driven on many fronts. Office 365 has the biggest catalyst because to deliver great user experience, Zscaler makes a big difference. Then you got a partnership on the Azure side of it. You got partnership on the identity side of it, uh, multi-front. And similarly, now we have been growing a partnership with AWS as well. Customers need to access workloads securely with great user experience. And we sit in the middle as a switchboard, as an exchange, you connect our technology is not dependent upon a cloud provider A or B or C. It works equally well when it comes to accessing applications in Google Cloud, AWS, or Azure. 
from field point of view, since Microsoft has such a large field sales force, we have a lot more engagement at the field level with Microsoft than the other two cloud providers, but we work equally well with them. Thank you, very helpful. Uh, you know, maybe we'll touch on the M&A front. So organic growth has obviously been very strong for Zscaler, but you've also done some M&A. Uh, Trustome in April, Smokescreen mm -hmm. you just announced uh, last month. Can you kind of talk through your philosophy on M&A and maybe what you're looking to accomplish with deals like the, the two recent ones? How do they fit into the platform? Yeah, maybe I can start with what we aren't looking for doing through M&A. We're not buying companies to bulk up revenues, okay? Uh, and the driving principle for that is we don't want any legacy technology. We are proud of the cloud-native technology we have. And most of the large vendors out there are our legacy technology. They may rename it whatever, but it's still legacy. What we're looking for is expanding our platform functionality in a, in a pretty elegant and simple and easy to deploy and manage way. And if we feel like there's some good technology vendor out there who can reduce my time to market by nine or 12 or 15 months, we acquire that. Generally, smaller companies are easy to integrate from technology point of view, as well as from a culture and people point of view. And also early on, it was important for us to kind of get to understand how m and is done and how it works with some of these smaller acquisitions. And what we've done, we have seen some very good results with the acquisition. We have seen some very good results from, for example, the acquisitions we did a year ago or so. CSPM, Cloud Security Posture Management, is helping us quite a bit. It gave us a 9 to 15 month lead in getting to the market. The browser isolation, which is a feature, being able to acquire a tech company and integrate with ZISEPA has been very good. Uh, similarly, Trust Dome acquisition further um, makes our cloud security posture better because it is allowing us to do permissions and entitlement. So it is complementary to CSPM solution we offered. And Smokescreen is a very cool and elegant technology that helps us in reducing the lateral threat movement. Think of it, remember we said with Zscaler private access, we connect users to applications only, not the network. So once they're on, we don't put people on the network. So we don't let threats move around. But in case you're already compromised, like with solar winds, smoke screen is like uh, a security motion camera inside your house, okay? It kind of picks up things if bad guys tries to go. We set up honeypots like Active Directory. If somebody tries to go and say, aha, I got Active Directory, but it's not real Active Directory. As soon as they do it, we cash the thief red-handed. Okay. So it's one more piece, one more technology that gets integrated to strengthen our ability to stop any lateral threat movement. So you're seeing us selecting them and they all become integrated in our platform. And we'll do more. I mean, we're not rushing into it. We are methodical. We think through and we're open to larger acquisitions if they make sense, but we won't rush into anything. Thank you. Uh, this is sort of a, a numbers question, maybe, maybe for both uh, 
UJ and, and Remo. But for, for investors who sit on the outside, you know, what, what are the most important metrics to gauge success in Zscaler's business? I mean, you can look at, you know, current remaining performance obligation, at dollar retention rates, billings growth, et cetera. If you had to, you know, pick, pick two, let's say, that are kind of the keys to focus on, what, what would you say is this is what you should be looking at? I'll, I'll start, uh, you know, I, I think billings is really the number one thing to look at, you know, for Zscaler. We, we primarily bill annually. Um, you know, our contract duration is increasing, so we're doing much more, you know, uh, you know, three-year contracts, which is great. Um, you know, I, I would say billings, you know, is really the number one metric. When you got CRPO, RPO, CRPO bookings growth rate, RPO bookings growth rates, those are all outstanding. They've done very well. You know, the, the RPO, you know, book, bookings growth rate was like 131% or something like that this last quarter, which is, you know, huge. Um, where our CRPO bookings growth rate was like in the low 80s. And, and the reason for that is, you know, customers are doing longer contracts, you know, with us. And because what, what CRPO and RPO represent, it's committed, you know, revenue, revenue that's been committed. But, you know, we feel billings, is, is the right way to look at it. There, there are other negative things that go against, you know, the RPO, CRPO. You know, if there are some cancelable clauses we have in our contracts, we won't pick that up in RPO, CRPO. Government deals, uh, you know, even though they might be like a four-year, five-year deal, since they have to, you know, approve the budget each year, we won't pick that up. So there's distortions that can cr get created with RPO, CRPO. So, you know, and, and since our content, since we bill primarily annually, I think billings is really the number one one metric to look at. I mean, the, the trailing metric is revenue. Revenue has been increasing, but it's more of a trailing metric. I think billings is the right way to look at things. And Remo, if I'm a net dollar retention rate, it's the other part you get asked. I mean, we look at it, but we don't really pay too much attention to it because the bigger the bundle we sell upfront, okay, uh, the lower the net retention rate. Okay, that's one challenge with it too. If I sell product suite A today and within 12 months, I sell a lot more, it doesn't get picked up. So it's because of those reasons. We kind of say net retention directionally, it helps, but it's not the most important indicator. Thanks very much. Uh, we've got one more in from the audience. Uh, what legal liabilities does Zscaler have if there is a security breach? Well, we're, we're limited on our contracts and related to what our legal liability is, you know, based on, you know, each contract varies. So there are, you know, uh, companies do put in, you know, uh, you know liability clauses, um, but, uh, you know, that varies contract by contract. And then we got insurance coverage. Yeah, and then we have, we have a significant insurance coverage also. Thank you. Um, so, so you... I've noted on recent earnings calls that there's not a whole lot of change that's happened on the competitive landscape, uh, despite uh, the significant growth rate in your space. I'm just curious, why do you think that is? Um, and are there a couple of competitors out there that, that you could point to and say, okay, th these couples seem to be making some progress? I would say what we have built, the way we've done technology is not an incremental change. You can incrementally change products. Easily. You can go from firewall to a next-gen firewall to a next-gen firewall because it's still a firewall. It's a pass-through connection. 
Underlying, it's the same architecture. You may say I can do app detection, but fundamental traffic flow is the same. But what we've done is actually multi-tenant cloud security is very different. It is like you are very good at building DVD players. Now you need to build a Netflix streaming service. Your experience in building DVD player doesn't help you at all. It actually hurts you. Okay. So it's because of that, generally incumbent vendors will struggle. They generally don't make it across when the big shift happens. So I think I'm probably wondering, it'll be more likely someone coming from really a startup phase and trying to figure out the new disruptive angle. Uh, the challenge that creates for them is you can easily do that in a one point product area. When you're talking a large platform, it gets very hard for a startup. Uh, think of this way. How many SaaS companies are out there? Thousands and thousands are happening. They are unidimensional. They are easy, self-contained. But think of ERP in the cloud, a real ERP in the cloud. NetSuite started 20 years ago. And who else is out there? Workday started working on it six, seven years ago and brought it to market two, three years ago. Why aren't there lots and lot more ERP companies in the cloud? Well, because it's hard. Why hasn't SAP actually moved to a real cloud ERP? Because it's not simple. I think Firewall will have the same kind of stuff, legacy company with the same kind of stuff. And you need to build something clean slate for new architecture. That's what we have done. We're sitting in the traffic path. Think of this. What has moved to the cloud easily? Email security. It's kind of, it doesn't matter. It's sitting somewhere. It takes two seconds or two minutes for your email to go through some filtering centrally. It's easy. Take identity. Identity is a phone book. It's a unidimensional stuff. That's why you saw 60, 70 companies start in the identity space. Then you saw Okta and, and Microsoft AD becoming dominant and that five, seven other players. And after that, everything is weeded out. But when it comes to our space, being the exchange, you need to sit in the middle of every, all traffic, okay? And you don't want five cooks sitting in the middle because now your finger pointing, your risk or availability and reliability goes up significantly. But for an enterprise to depend upon a vendor for putting all this traffic through is a big obligation, it's a big responsibility. And it, it's not likely to happen easily. That's why that's a barrier to entry for young companies. When I started Zscaler, I was at a stage of my life where I had successfully built and sold four companies. I had no interest in doing and building one more point product startup. So I actually put more money in Zscaler than the previous four companies combined and say, let's build a platform. Let's invest whatever it takes. So it's, it's a unique stage of my life that helped me make these investments and start a big platform, which is giving us an advantage in the long run. Well, we've actually, uh, we've gone over time. Uh, I apologize for keeping you a little bit late, but thank you very much for, for participating, both Jay and, and Remo, super helpful. And uh, hopefully we can do it in person. Great, next year. Keith, thank you. Look forward to it. Thank you, Keith. Goodbye. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for joining.